are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. My name is Sean Seguin. I am one of the pastors here at Refuge Community Church. And uh, man, so glad you were able to make it today. So glad uh, in the midst of this uh, crazy season, as we look at, you know, COVID numbers and watching them, we're able to come and say like, hey, this is, this is a place where we're going to do our best. We're going to take care of being safe and, and a healthy environment, but also we're going to make sure we offer, we want to offer community and connection. And so, man, thank you for coming. Um, and I'm excited because I get to continue in our, uh, our series that we're working on right now called Therefore Go. Uh, and we've been working through these like different rhythms. Each, each sermon series has been these different rhythms uh, that we want to think about, discipleship, community, and now we're looking at, at evangelism. Um, and so uh, today we're going to be diving into that a bit further. I want to I just kind of, uh, I would like to pray to kind of prepare my own heart, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, let's, let's just, we're going to continue in prayer again. Father, thank you for, um, for your word. I pray that you would take what, uh, what you have been teaching me and that it would just uh, pour out and be a blessing to others as much as it has been for me. Uh, I pray that you would uh, continue to convict my heart and convict our hearts as we move forward. Thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So when I was, uh, I was about, uh, I want to say seven years old or so, uh, I loved uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Uh, and this is because my dad was really big into action movies, okay? And so my dad and, and I would watch these movies together. I was way too young to be watching Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. I've got a, I've got a seven-year-old now. I'm like, no, nah, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I remember uh, this, this one evening in particular where we were going to camp out in the living room, and we were setting up this tent, and we're going to watch this Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called Bloodsport. Um, and I remember being, being, like, you know, excited about this moment. And, and uh, Van Damme is in this place where he's, like, going to learn this new uh, martial art called Muay Thai, and he's going to, you know, defend uh, or, uh, you know, go back and, and defeat the, the guy who hurt his brother and all this stuff. But he's being trained. And in this training scene, he goes through all this crazy stuff. You see him, like, fighting underwater and this, these ridiculous things that I don't know what they have exactly to do with it. But there comes one point where he, like, masters it. And you know he masters it because he's, like, pulled up on these poles, and he's, like, and, and he's, like, roped up you know I don't know we have this picture here we he gets pulled up and and he's being pulled apart if you can see this and you see his pain on his face right his master is teaching him and there comes this moment where all of the sudden he stops the pain goes and all of a sudden he's one with the world you know and it was like and then all of a sudden he goes ah and he rips down the poles like with his strength you know and, uh, and it was like, at that moment, you're like, that's what you got to do to master Muay Thai. And I'm going to do that. So I told him, I turned to my, I turned to my dad and, and we were sitting in this tent in, in the living room. And I said, dad, can you do that to me? And <laughs> my dad looked at me and he was like, uh, let's talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> and we moved on with the movie. Uh, but like from that moment on, like I was determined I was going to be really good at the splits. I, so like Von Dom like pushed me forward in, in doing the splits in case you're wondering. I did, I did, I did end up going into gymnastics. I competed and stuff. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Anyway, we, I decided I want to master Muay Thai. But the point that I'm getting at here is that good stories will move you into action. Good stories will move you into action. And that is why I think... Uh, that's why I believe that God gave us 
our scripture that's like 40 43% is story. 43% of scripture is story. It's not just a bunch of like, go do, you must do this, you must do that. You must. It's not a bunch of rules and laws, but it's a lot of story. And that's because God desires to speak to your heart and, move, and, and have us moved by, by actually being, you know, having, these, having his word move us. He wants to actually have relationship with us. And, and so stories move us. And maybe for you it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Van Damme. Maybe it was uh, Mel Gibson yelling freedom. Or maybe it was Ryan Gosling telling uh, Rachel McAdams, you know, it wasn't over. It still ain't over as he like passionately kisses her. Uh, I don't know. I don't know for you. At that, that, yeah, that moment, man, that, that like got me because I was in the middle of a breakup. So I was like, maybe it's not still over. Anyway, um, <laughs> stories move us, man. And, and, and in God's word, like I said, like 43% of scripture is stories. And the book of Acts is this story, this, narr- this, this, uh, this story that, that I hope moves us to action. Um, and what I wanted to do today uh, big, big high dreams right here, high hopes, is work through the entire book of Acts in, th- in about 30 minutes. Um, so you're, get ready, uh, hold on tight. But the reason for this is I, I hope to offer you a little bit more of the Jewish perspective that when they would read this book, how it would move them to action. And then I hope that as you hear it and as you think through it, that you would go, man, like that moves me into action as well. And so um, get ready. Our sermon is not our normal three-point sermon where here's, you're going to learn this, this, and then this. We really have one main point, uh, but we're going to be working through the three main movements of, of Acts where he goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. We'll be working through that a bit, but, um, but, the, but the main point that I want y'all to get, the thing I want y'all to take away, the, the message in a tweet, if you, if you will, um, you are recipients of Israel's inheritance which empowers you to be Jesus's witnesses to the ends of the earth. You are recipients of Israel's inheritance, which empowers you to be Jesus's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And this is the title of my sermon today, uh, to the ends, uh, the ends of the earth. So let's go ahead and just start by reading that, that, that passage again, Acts 1.8. This, story, this is a passage of Jesus's last words, and it frames the entire book of Acts. So let's read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this this is what we, the reader, is expected to to see happen. So you you say, okay, here we go. They're going to be filled with the Spirit, be in Jerusalem, and and then it's going to expand outward. It's going to go Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So this is what you expect to see in the book. Um, and, And so... As, as you're reading, uh, and especially if you're a first century Jew, there is a bit of excitement about this. This is kind of like that waiting on the last days kind of thing, the Messiah who's going to come and set all things right. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and dive in. But it's this, this, it'll start in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, but Paul's only going to make it to Rome, and we're going to touch on that a bit in the end here. But uh, let's start off in the first movement in Jerusalem, which is in Acts 2. They go to Jerusalem. They're waiting in this upper room. They're praying. They spend time in prayer and, and, and just hanging out together. And then all of a sudden, these crazy, like mighty rushing winds, flames are like on their heads. They're all speaking in all these unknown, like languages that they don't know off the top of their head. Like they're speaking in other languages. 
Um, and then people out on the streets are there. It's the day of Pentecost, which is like significant. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, we actually had a, an Acts sermon series. You can go back and, and, and hear more about that. But Pentecost, it's, it's like this is the day that the law was given. Um, there's so much more. And then all of a sudden people are gathering around. Thousands are getting saved. And from that moment, he's like, these are the last days. These are the days, you know, that we were waiting for. Where, you know, your young men will dream dreams and prophesy, da, da, da. Uh, and your, your sons and daughters will, you know, they're going to go and do incredible things. You can have this too, you know. And there's this like, it's just this crazy moment. Uh, and every, and there's, there's just thousands saved. And then after that, you see all these people like, meeting in these house churches kind of kind of thing like meeting together eating meals and sharing these teachings and, and and like sharing the gospel as they go around like this beautiful picture and we're talking about like it's just the next chapter it's been one chapter and we've already hit point one we've already gone in this first movement to jerusalem and so you're like if you're a first century i mean if you've never read this book before you're like okay this book this book's going to move along quickly you know that the book is much longer than than just a few chapters so it doesn't move along as quickly as you think it hap- that first part happens real fast uh and and it begins to slow down and this is all super intentional um but uh what what i've heard when i've heard people preach on on this before or on talk on this before not everybody but i've i've heard this idea that you start in jerusalem you move to judea samaria ends of the earth the idea is starting your neighborhood or your home or whatever move out to your neighborhood to your city to uh, you know whatever beyond and it moves outward it's like this idea of gospel saturation and i want to say that i think that is actually a beautiful way to do missions i have nothing against that but i, I don't think that that's the point here and, and I want to tell you, the reason I don't think that that's the point here is because these people are Galileans. They are not, they are not from Jerusalem. They are from about a two-and-a-half-day walk, uh, you know, about a two, for them, a two-and-a-half-day journey. So they, this is not their home city. It's not like they're, like, starting at home and moving outward. Jerusalem has its own special significance that's far beyond giving us some kind of missionary map layout and how to, how to do things. Jerusalem is the city from which all like blessing would come and flow out to all nations. Jerusalem was the city where the temple of God was, where heaven and earth met, where, where all things would flow out of. So for them, you know, for the first century Jewish person, if there was going to be a move of God, it was going to need to be there in Jerusalem. It was going to need to start there. And so by essentially by starting in Jerusalem, the point, he's, the point that, that Luke is making by letting us know where it all started, by Jesus telling them to go, the point in all this is to say, this is that significant thing that you have been waiting for. This is that moment where it, 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 the Spirit's coming. This, these are the last days, and this is when it's going to begin to flow out of here in a way that you've never seen. The city of the great king is now being ruled by King Jesus. That's essentially what's happened. So as you read it, that, that, should, that begins to stir us up. And, and I think, you know, sometimes when we think of it in more of like a missionary plan, you know, satur- gospel saturation, we... we Oftentimes we'll use that as an excuse to not go beyond our own city walls. I mean, I don't, I don't need to worry about the nations as long as I focus on my home and my city, whatever. And what this does is it says like, hey, this thing has happened. If you've been filled with the spirit, you have this thing. Start doing the work of, of God right here and now. Sure. And if you're called to be a missionary, go be a missionary. It's not just like work your way out. I love the, again, I love gospel saturation, but I think. The point here is to get us stirred to say, man, if you've received this, go. 
go. And so that, that we're, we're going. But the, um, but the first century Jewish person, as they hear this, there's something that they're going to feel that I don't think we capture. And what I want to do is help you to capture that a bit. How many of y'all, I, I know everybody remembers this. How many of y'all remember Snowpocalypse 2021? Uh, yeah. Yeah, y'all are like, please don't bring that up. I don't want to hear, I don't want to think about that again. I remember, I remember seeing those, uh, those snowfall uh, here, and, and we're in Texas. We're looking at all this. We're going, golly, like we, we, had, um, we had crazy amounts of snowfall. And then uh, from there, I remember uh, there came a point where people's pipes were beginning to freeze up, right? And if you were like us, ours actually stopped for uh, an hour, and we freaked out. We thought, oh, God, we got we to gotta start collecting snow. So we started boiling snow. Anybody else here boil snow? Yeah, some people boil some snow. That's a legit picture of that, that day. Um, yeah, I, that's our stove. That is our snow right there. Um, and we were, we were ready to go. Thank God it came back on not much later. Um, but people, there was this very sen- like real sense of insecurity. Like things are going down. Like, and, and when you began to look at your weather app, right? You would look at that weather app, you'd see Saturday snow and ice and rain and sun, and it's all freezing, 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 freezing. And you looked at Friday and you saw that little sun symbol and you were like, oh God, thank, please, if we could just make it to Friday, right? You remember, you remember that feeling? If we could just make it to Friday, my, maybe my pipes won't freeze up. Maybe my electri- electricity won't go off. Maybe I won't run out of food. Maybe that feeling of death and darkness and brokenness and chaos surrounding you all week long and that insecurity and that moment of when the sun comes up, maybe we'll get there, right? Friday morning rolled around and I remember personally waking up and looking out my window, seeing the sun rise and there was a sense of like a joy and a peace that I, like I hadn't experienced before because I hadn't experienced that kind of chaos in my life in a long time. There was this, like, my kids are going to be okay. My, my, my house is going to be okay. We're going to have crazy bills pop up. Well, hopefully, like, we don't find out something. But, but there's this, like, joy that came over. And I, I assure you there were people who tears of joy when they saw the sun coming out, ready to begin to melt things. And when the first century Jewish reader reads this, think about this. They are a, in a, a, they are a conquered people group. They've been taken over by, um, you know, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Persia, and now they're being ruled by the Romans. Darkness and death surrounds them. It's a hopeless situation. The only hope they have is their scripture that tells them one day the Messiah is coming and he's going to make everything right. And so when, they, when, when Luke begins to record this story, saying that it started in Jerusalem, saying that, this, that they begin to speak in these other languages, saying that, oh, he's, and saying that the sermon was preached at the last days it began. This, this reader is like, it's happened. And you can imagine tears of joy. Not just that, but then the question of how do I participate in, in bringing this about? How do I become a part of what's happening here and now? And so when, when we think about this reality that it starts in Jerusalem, that movement is, is extremely essential to the, the, the narrative flow. Because it starts, again, in the city of the great king, the place where the land of blessing, in, in the, it, not just in the, the, bless, the promised land, but in, in the city of blessing, you know, in the place where heaven and earth meets, uh, 
And so for, for them, and I hope for us, now we can begin to go, like, look at the significance of what God started there in Jerusalem. But now Acts 2 has happened. We're all on the edge of our seats. We're reading. We're going, oh, my gosh, this thing has happened. Let's, let's watch the ice thaw out, right? Let's see this thing happen. Let's see it all come into existence. And what's crazy is that we don't get uh, the next movement into Judea and Samaria for another six chapters, right? You're like, that happened real quick. Now I've got to wait six chapters. So, but you see a lot of cool ministry happening for six chapters. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, but it's, you know, you get this, this Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth thing in Acts, 8, as, Acts 1, 8. But you don't get it, uh, Judea and Samaria again. You don't hear that phrase again until Acts 8, 1. And so um, in Acts 8, 1, we're going to read that. Uh, in all Judea and Samaria is where we're at right now in this movement of the story. He says this. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Again, this is the first time uh, Judea and Samaria is mentioned after Jesus says it. There's, uh, there's kind of like, well, we expected this movement to just go boom and, and it go from Jerusalem and explode, and the rest of the earth sees it all happen. The Messiah makes it all right. And instead of all that happening, you see some really cool miracles happen. But then all of a sudden, there's persecution breaking out. And then all of a sudden, people are fleeing for their lives. And they're running to other cities. And that is, is the first time you hear about Judea and Samaria. And so there's kind of like a, what's going to happen? You know, like, how is this going to, how is this, how, how is this movement going to move forward? And, but what's really cool is that if you read that again, that the, all were scattered except for the apostles, Strangely enough, the apostles who were told you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, they don't go. And, and these non-apostles who have been filled with the Spirit are fleeing for their lives. And they're the ones who begin to go out and preach the gospel in these new areas. The gospel moves forward not by these like special super apostles, but it moves forward by Spirit-empowered believers. And so as you read this, like, I hope that you, know, you begin to think like, Man, you know, I, th- I know that Peter comes along later and he, he brings, he uh, prays for people and they receive the Holy Spirit, but they had already been saved before that. And so we'll, we'll get into that a bit. But, um, but then again, we get into this idea of Judea and Samaria. And, and I, wanna, I want you to understand the significance of this as well, because I don't know if you know, maybe y'all are some smart people, you probably know, whatever. Uh, but <laughs> Judea and Samaria uh, are these two areas. Uh, so you've got um, here's Judea right here, and here's Samaria right here. That's Galilee up there. All of this was the ancient promised land of Israel and Judah, okay? So when he goes to Judea and Samaria, what he's saying is like this area of the promised land is gonna be completely filled. He's saying the northern and the southern kingdom are going to be reunited again. This, this is something that's extremely significant because, you know, a thousand years before this, uh, King David was ruling over the northern and the southern kingdom. And there was this like united kingdom is the picture of what God's going to do again. He, because after David, the, Solomon uh, doesn't do so great as a king. But after him, <laughs> the, these two kingdoms split. And this is the first kingdom to be taken down. Then this kingdom gets taken. So there's a split. Jew, the Jewish people are spread all over the place. But the hope that the, the prophets point to is that one day the, this kingdom will be united under a, the true king, God. And now all of a sudden, we get this picture of Judea and Samaria. Again, this is the first century. This is the, you know, back in the, the first millennium uh, B.C. 
when you get this, all, all of the sudden what's happening is the gospel is spreading throughout all of the promised land. The northern and the southern kingdom is now united under one king, King Jesus. That is, that is what's happening as we begin to see this thing spread. And uh, it's absolutely beautiful. It's not just, a, again, it's not just a geographical thing. It's this theological thing that's happening. But even more than that, there's like also this like ethnic thing that's happening because it's moving beyond uh, just purely Jewish people. It's moving into the Samaritan people. The Samaritans were people who, who have ancestors that were not Jews. Um, and so they have some Jews, some, some not. So they're like kind of the, they're kind of like the bridge between Jewish and Gentile. Gentile is completely not Jew. Samaritan is like half Jew, half uh, Gentile. And so you have this like uh, bridge to say like, how are we going to get to the ends of the world if we aren't reaching the, uh, the non-Jewish people? Well, we gotta, we've got to make our way out. So there's this like interesting uh, narrative bridge that happens where he work, uh, it works its way into Samaria first. And in Samaria, the, the Samaritans receive the gospel for the first time. Not Again, not through the apostles, but through uh, a man named Philip who went and preached. Um, and he's just a man filled with God's spirit going and sharing the gospel. And they receive it, but then they aren't filled with spirit. This is, this is what's really interesting is that Peter's reluctance uh, to, to go out is, is strange. Um, we know that Peter seems to struggle with people who are, are not Jewish. Uh, because in, in Galatians, we find out that even later on, even though there was like all these boundaries set up saying like, hey, people who are not Jewish are still part of the covenant family. OK, they don't have to be circumcised to be in. And that was like this like thing they, they have, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate all that stuff. Peter struggles with that. It seems to me that Peter still struggles with that because he's like going to check on this thing. He's like, I'm not sure about it. Um, but what's even more telling that he wasn't so sure about it is Acts 8.25, Acts 8.25. So this is after they have received it. Then he, he comes, they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and Acts 8.25 says this, says, So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Why hadn't he preached the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans before? Like, it's this strange thing. It's like this, this thing he's got to get his brain wrapped around. He's struggling. And I think this is important because the main character right now is struggling through some of this stuff. And I think that the first century reader would be struggling with this idea of, like, an actual diverse community of people. Because at one point they thought, well, we're going to be the people of blessing and we're going to go and, and just bless all these people. and They're going to receive it from us. You know, here you need our breadcrumbs and joy. We have, we're just living it up because we're in charge now. And they're beginning to realize, no, 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 that's not what's happening. No, th- you're not just going off and giving what, what's left over because you have so much, but actually you're inviting them in to sit at the table with you. And this, this is hard for them to understand. And for, I think for us, we can look at that and be like, why, why was it so hard? Like, diversity, that's a good thing, you know. Um, Jesus is all about that, you know. And yet, I think it's, it's easy for us to say that, but it's also like if we look around, we, uh, we can say, oh, you know what, we've got a pretty diverse community of people. Like, Sunday morning looks great, like looks like a, a pretty diverse group. But just because you sit in a service, a, a diverse service, does not mean you're participating in a diverse community. It's not until you sit at a table, you know, Monday through Saturday across the table from someone who's different from you, whether age or ethnicity or gender or whatever, that, that you begin to say, like, this is what true diversity looks like. When I say, when, when we go, hey, 
no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, no matter what's going on, you can belong in this community. You're not just, uh, you're not just able to come and sit in our services, but you actually, like, I actually want to participate in the diversity that's taking place. And so when we, when we talk about this, sometimes it's, it's easier to look at the, you know, them and be like, oh, they, they weren't great at that, you know, and, and we're so much better. But I think sometimes we can find ourselves even using our church as an excuse to say, oh, look, we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well. Like, we're pretty diverse, and, and in reality, not participating in the diversity ourselves, not, not inviting those who are different from us into our households, you know? Um, and I, I think it's, it's so important for us to begin to wrap our minds around that is, is going to be crucial to the evangelism that we want to see happen. Because, man, people are, absolutely, you can go out and share the gospel with someone. You can do life with someone, and, and they, will, they may receive the gospel through this, like, connection with you. But until they can find them, they can imagine themselves belonging to a community, they will have a hard time ever truly being immersed in a church. Like, and so um, people need to know, like, not just that, that, uh, that you attend a church, but that you actually can do community with people who are different from you. And when they can, look or when they can come to a community group setting, setting at, at someone's house or when they can come to, like, a get to game night or something like that, and they're like, hey, like, I feel like I could fit in here. Like, I can see myself in this. Walls begin to go down. Walls begin to go down because we are shaped in community. Like, that's just the way we are created. I mean, like, uh, world, we will hold tight to our worldview, and we will push anybody away if we don't feel like we belong to their group. But once you begin to feel like you belong, you can begin to let your walls down and say, I'll let you transform me, and, you tra- and, and I hope that you let me transform you as well. Like, there's this, like, give and take that happens in genuine community where people belong. And when it's a gospel-centered, diverse community, all of a sudden people go, it's not about age. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about gender. It's not about uh, social class or any of these things. Somehow I can belong no matter where I come from, and I can be changed and I can help to change others. That is where, like, the evangelism of inviting people to church, not just inviting people to church, but inviting people into community, that's where that begins to make a difference in people's lives. And so this is why it's so crucial, this idea of moving beyond the Jews to to the Samaritans. All of a sudden, we're seeing God is saying, hey, this, uh, this family is a lot bigger than you realize. It's a lot more diverse than you realize. We theologically, we've moved from the heartland. We've moved into the land of promise. And, uh, and now we're going to be diving into the, the, the ends of the earth portion. How does it get beyond the promised land? And so uh, I'm going to kind of run through uh, Acts 10 through 28, um, kind of briefly to give uh, to re, kind of retell that story a little bit. But how do we get to the ends of the earth? So immediately following chapter 8, you know, the Samaritans have received the gospel. They're, um, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, there are seven chapters of transition happening. Uh, the transition is of the main character. The character is Peter, but we're transitioning to Paul now. Paul uh, is this guy that is called to be the uh, the 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 one who's to go to the Gentiles. So all of a sudden, this narrator is switching up main characters and saying, like, there's something big happening here when you see this transition happen. The point here is to say we're moving, we're going. We're going to the ends of the earth now. Um, Paul also called Saul. Uh, Paul is, essentially, it's his Greek name. 
Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. And so as you even see his name uh, change, it's not, it's not because like Jesus went and changed his name. Now you're uh, Paul. But it's just, there's, there's a narrative move happening here saying this is going out. The thing that you've been waiting for, that, that it would reach the ends of the earth, it's happening through this man named Paul. It's going out. And so uh, we get to chapter 9. All of a sudden, uh, there you have Saul's conversion. You have uh, the mentions of Judea, Samaria, and now Galilee, still in the promised land, uh, but, but it's moving beyond Samaria. And then uh, chapter 10, the gospel reaches the Gentiles, uh, but it's still in the promised land. What's really interesting is the narrative doesn't move outside of the promised land until chapter 11, and these are non-apostles that do it again. It's so strange that Jesus gives the command to these apostles to tell them it's going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and yet somehow it's not the apostles who takes it to those next boundaries. Seems rather intentional that he's pointing this out. Wants us to know that you don't have to be an apostle to take this thing out. Chapter 12, uh, Paul goes from Jerusalem out again. 13, he starts his first missionary journey. Chapter 13 and 14 uh, begins to reach more Gentiles. And then chapter 15 is this like pivotal moment where they're like, okay, we need to nail down how do Gentiles participate in this community? And it's kind of like we're going to knock out all barriers. Like if you have any barriers about the, the, you know, these people who are not Jews being a part of this community, we're going to knock them all down right now. And they, they kind of lay out like, hey, we, they're, they're not going to be required to be circumcised. Like they're, they, you, we just want them to be like good moral people, basically. Trust in Jesus, and that's about it. Uh, and so we get chapter 15 kind of like lays that out, like lays that groundwork. And then from then forward, we're like looking forward to that like ends of the earth moment, right? Like when does it go to the ends of the earth? Um, and so uh, Luke wants the reader to see this, these uh, Gentiles now as covenant members. This is... Again, this is important uh, as he begins to say, like, hey, we've wrestled through this. The apostles in, you know, the, the apostles and, and all of those who are faithful believers in Jesus have voted on this thing. Like, we believe that this is a good thing for the Gentiles to be fully included without all these extra rules and boundaries. Um, they are covenant family members. And so as we see that happen, we see this, this new character, Paul, willing to suffer, willing to die, to go to the ends of the earth to take the gospel out. And he ends uh, Acts 28, 28. These are Paul's last words. Um, Acts 28, 28. He says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, this is a man, he was arrested, he was taken to Rome, he was tried and brought before, you know, he was, he was brought before all these people, and, and he, he's here, he's telling them, uh, you know, he, he preaches the gospel openly, he's not afraid, he ends up in house arrest, essentially, um, but these are, this is what he says last, after all of this, he doesn't make it to, we all know there's no real ends of the earth, right, it's a, it's a, it's a sphere, um, if you're a flat earther, I am sorry, I'm just disagree with you. But uh, uh, it doesn't go to the end. Of it, it, uh, but it doesn't even make its way. Like Paul's planning on going to Spain. He had plans to go to Spain, but he didn't make it to Spain. Makes it to Rome. Now, some people think, oh, like this means like, hey, Rome is the, the all roads lead to Rome. It's the ends of the, it's essentially the ends of the earth. And, and I think that, that that's, that's one way of viewing it. I think it's, it's important for us to see that essentially he's saying like the work's not done. 
It wasn't the apostles who took it beyond each boundary. And guess what? It's not going to be the apostles who take it to the ends of the earth. It's going to be any spirit-empowered believer who trusts in you and trusts in Jesus. And, it sa- and, and he says that, therefore, let, this, let it be known that, uh, to you that this salvation of God has been sent to you, uh, to the Gentiles. They will listen. I think that this whole, like, they will listen thing is actually super important. Can you imagine being a first century Jewish person, a conquered people group? A conquered people group trying to go to the most power, like you couldn't even imagine going to the most powerful, like Rome, go to Rome and proclaim this news that your Messiah is somehow going to change the world, not the emperor, you know? The emperor is not the savior of all, like they proclaimed. He's not the one who brought peace, like they proclaimed. How is Rome going to listen to this conquered people group? And yet Paul stands before Rome, stands before all these people, stands before leaders, and, and, and he proclaims the gospel, and he's able to turn to them and he say, I don't care whether you, whether you think you're powerless or not, they're going to listen. They're going to listen. And it's not because of anything that you have to offer. It's because the Spirit of God dwelling in you. It's because of what he can do through you. That's got to be encouraging. And I have to say, honestly, in, in, a, in a time where I feel like people just don't listen to each other at all, like if you go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you go on social media, it feels like nobody listens to anybody. If, you, if you're on one side, then uh, I don't want to hear anything from you. And if you're on this side, you're just mean to each other, whatever. Um, nobody listens to each other. And so understanding that a conquered people group is empowered by the Spirit and that those who are, who are more powerful than them will listen. That's, that should bring us hope and courage that we can actually stand up and proclaim the gospel wherever we go, no matter what, and, and trust that when the Spirit is at work, their hearts will be changed. It's not us doing it. It's the Spirit of God. And Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and, and, he, has this, and he talks about this going to the ends of the earth thing, and yet, and Paul's last words, these, this idea of going, you, you know, like, hey, they're going to listen. Keep it going. Like, this should drive us forward. And when you consider the fact that you have been filled with the same spirit that empowered the apostles and even those who weren't uh, apostles to participate in the work of being witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, and that the gospel blessing that started in the land and the people of blessing has broken out of geographic and ethnic barriers. And, and that the book ends with this man willing to die for his faith, telling us that the harvest is ripe, essentially. When we consider all of this, I hope that we are stirred up. I hope that we're stirred up more than, than by that Van Damme movie, Mel Gibson, Ryan Gosling, whatever. I hope that you are stirred up today by this news that you have been filled with the Spirit of God if you've placed your trust in him, and he has empowered you to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. The gospel has reached from Jerusalem to Austin, Texas, because spirit-empowered believers were willing to take it forward. You know about Jesus because of, of them. Some of you are called to be uh, missionaries and church planters to other countries. Some of you are called to be missionaries and church planters to this country. And the rest of you are called to live on mission everywhere you go and fund missionaries and church planters. Like, that's essentially what, our, what we do with our lives now. Completely surrendered to Jesus. 
So if you've placed your trust in Christ, then you are recipients of Israel's inheritance. The Spirit of God, which empowers you to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. I want to go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. But I want us to be thinking about this. Like, what God has started in Jerusalem has made its way to Austin, Texas. And he has, he has, you are part of his body. He has you and, and me, and we are here with this church. Refuge exists to care for and love and take the gospel forward in, the, in our neighborhoods around here. And so, like, how are you taking advantage of the fact that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you? How are you caring for your neighbors? How are you taking this message forward, knowing what God has started in Jerusalem and continued and is taking to the ends of the earth? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your, your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you so much for your spirit, which empowers us to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. I pray that uh, as, as everybody uh, considers what it is uh, to, to trust in you and to, to live for you, I pray that we would be stirred to follow you with our whole hearts that we would go to our neighbors, that we would go uh, to those in our schools, in our workplaces, uh, and we would share the good news that is absolutely transforming this world. And God, we, we, do, uh, we look forward to that day when you will come and make all things right, and this whole world will be utterly transformed. Thank you for your spirit, which is at work in us. Pray that you would move us forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 